Chapter Nineteen of Aunt Jane's Nieces at Millville. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Philip Griffiths. Aunt Jane's Nieces at Millville by L. Frank Baum. Chapter Nineteen, The Courtin of Skim Clark. By this time the summer was well advanced, and the rich people at the Wegg farm had ceased to be objects of wonder to the Millville folk. The girls were still regarded with curious looks when they wandered into the village on an errand, and Mr. Merrick and Major Doyle inspired a certain amount of awe, but time had dulled the edge of marvellous invasion, and the city people were now accepted as a matter of course. Peggy McNutt was still bothering his head over schemes to fleece the strangers, in blissful ignorance of the fact that one of his neighbours was planning to get ahead of him. The widow Clark was a shrewd woman. She had proven this by becoming one of the merchants of Millville after her husband's death. The poor man had left an insurance of five hundred dollars and the little frame building wherein he had conducted a harness shop. Mrs. Clark couldn't make him repair harness, so she cleared the straps and scraps and wax ends out of the place, painted the interior of the shop bright yellow with a blue ceiling, erected some shelves and a counter, and turned part of the insurance money into candy, cigars, stationery, and a meagre stock of paper-covered novels. Skim, her small son, helped her as far as he was able and between them they managed things so frugally that at the end of eight years the widow still had her five hundred dollars capital, and the little store had paid her living expenses. Skim was named after his uncle, Peter Skimbley, who owned a farm near Watertown. The widow's hopeful was now a lank, pale-faced youth of eighteen, whose most imposing features were his big hands and a long nose that ended in a sharp point. The shop had ruined him for manual labour, for he sat hunched up by the stove in winter, and in summer hung around Cotting's store and listened to the gossip of the loungers. He was a boy of small conversational powers, but his mother declared that Skim done a heap of thinking that nobody suspected. The widow was a good gossip herself and knew all the happenings in the little town. She had a habit of reading all her stock of paper-covered novels before she sold them, and her mind was stocked with a mass of romance and adventure that she had thus absorbed. "'What I love's more neatin' or sleepin,' she often said, "'is a rattling good love story. There don't seem to be much love in real life, so a poor lone critter like me has to calm her hankerings by a readin' novels.' No one had been more interested in the advent of the millionaire at the Wegg farm than the widow Clark. She had helped fix up the house for the new owner, and her appreciative soul had been duly impressed by the display of wealth demonstrated by the fine furniture sent down from the city. She had watched the arrival of the party, and noticed with eager eyes the group of three pretty and stylishly dressed nieces who accompanied their rich uncle. Once or twice since the young ladies had entered her establishment to purchase pens or stationery, and on such occasions the widow was quite overcome by their condescension. 
All this set her thinking to some purpose. One day she walked over to the farm and made her way quietly to the back door. By good fortune she found blind Nora hemming napkins and in a mood to converse. Nora was an especially neat seamstress, but required someone to thread her needles. Mary the cook had been doing this, but now Mrs. Clark sat down beside Nora to have a little talk and keep the needles supplied with thread. She learned a good deal about the nieces, for old Nora could not praise them enough. They were always sweet and kind to her, and she loved to talk about them. They were all rich too, or would be, for their uncle had no children of his own and could leave several millions to each one when he died. "'And they're so simple, too,' said the old woman. "'Nothing cityfied nor stuck up about any on em. "'I can tell ye. "'They dresses as fine as the Queen of Sheba, Tom says, "'but they romp round just like they was born in the country. "'Miss Patsy, she's learning to milk the cow, "'and Miss Beth takes care of the chickens all by herself. "'They're regular girls, Marthy Clark, "'and money ain't spilled em a bit.' This report tended to waken a great ambition in the widow's heart, or perhaps the ambition had already taken form, and this gossip confirmed and established it. Before she left the farm, she had a chance to secretly observe the girls, and they met with her full approval. At supper that evening she said to her hopeful, Skim, I want ye to go courtin. Skim looked up in amazement. Me, ma? he asked. "'Yes, you. It's time you was thinking of getting married.' Skim held his knife in his mouth a moment while he thought over this startling proposition. Then he removed the cutlery, heaved a deep sigh, and inquired, "'Who at, ma?' "'What's that?' "'Who'll I go courtin' at?' "'Skim, you remember in the last book we read, "'The Angel Maniac's Revenge, there was a saying, the fate knocks once on every man's door, while fate's knocking on your door. Skim listened with a nervous glance toward the doorway. Then he shook his head. Oh, fool fancy, ma, he remarked. Don't ye go and get no romantic notions out of books into your head. Skim, am I a fool or ain't I? Tain't for me to say, ma. Fate's knocking, and if you don't open to it, Skim, I'll wash my hands of ye, and ye can just starve to death. The boy looked disturbed. What's aggravating of ye, then? he inquired anxiously. A millionaire is come right under your nose. He's here in Millville, with three gals for nieces that's all got money to squander and's bound to have more. Skim gave a low whistle. "'You don't mean for me to be courting at them gals, do you?' he demanded. "'Why not? Your family's just as respectable as any, "'cept that your Uncle Mel backslided after that last revival "'and went to a horse-race. "'You're young and you're handsome, "'and there's three gals waiting ready to be won by a bold wooer. "'Be bold, Skim. Take fake by the fetlock, "'and your fortune's made easy.' "'Skim did not reply at once.' He gulped down his tea and stared at the opposite wall in deep thought. It wasn't such a tarnal bad notion, after all, and so thoroughly impressed was he with his own importance and merit 
that it never occurred to him he would meet with any difficulties if he chose to undertake the conquest. "'Peggy says marriage is the mark of a fool, and Peggy married money too,' he remarked slowly. "'Pah! Money! Mary Ann Cotton didn't have but a hundred and forty dollars all told, and she were an old maid, and soured and squint-eyed when Peggy hitched up with her.' "'I ain't seen nothing of the world yet,' continued Skim evasively. "'Nor you won't neither, unless you marry money. "'Any one of them girls could take you to Europe and back a dozen times.' "'Skim reflected still farther. "'Courton ought to have some decent clothes,' he said. "'I can't sit in the nabob's parlour with all that slick furniture "'in Nick Thorne's cast-off Sunday suit.' The cloth's as good as ever was made, and I cut em down myself and stitched em all over. They don't look like store clothes, though, objected Skim. The widow sighed. Taint the coat that makes the man, Skim. It's the coat that makes decent courtin', though, he maintained stubbornly. Gals like to see a fellow dressed up. It shows he means business, amounts to something. I gave Nick Thorne two dollars and a package of terbacca for them clothes, which the only thing wrong about was that they got too snug for comfort. Nick said so himself. But I'll make a bargain with you, Skim. If you'll agree to give me fifty dollars after you're married, I'll buy you some store clothes of Sam Cotton to do courtin' in. Fifty dollars? Well, I've brung you up, ain't I? I've worked like a nigger mindin' shop. Say forty dollars. I ain't small, and if you give one of them city girls skim, forty dollars won't mean no more'n a wink of an eye to ye. Skim frowned. Then he smiled, and the smile disclosed a front tooth missing. I'll dream on it, he said. Let you know in the morning, ma. But I won't court a minute, mind ye, unless I get store clothes. End of chapter 19